Well, hey, good morning. My name is Dan Boss, and I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. My family's been here uh, for four year, four plus years now with King's Cross. Just, uh, you know, moved to San Diego about five years ago and got plugged in right away as things were kind of getting started here uh, with the church, and my family has been uh, blessed by it, uh, being a part of this community. My wife, Serena, um, she's happily married of 18 years now. So, <laughs> And uh, we've loved being a part of this community and uh, love having our, our family kind of plugged in here and uh, learning from you and uh, learning about Jesus together. Um, so this morning, in case you haven't noticed, is Palm Sunday. And um, what we celebrate this morning is uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Traditionally, the church has uh, celebrated this the, the week prior to Easter, and uh, basically entering into Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And um, we sang Hosanna this morning, which means save us, and uh, in praises to him. So de- depending on your church tradition, if you grew up in the church, um, maybe you were a part of a celebration like that as a kid. I remember having a palm branch in my hands and kind of looking forward to that each year and seeing, oh, I can whip my brother with this palm branch now. Super fun. But as I've grown, I've realized that kind of the deep symbolism and the the meaning behind what happens on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and what is going on there. Like it's it's kind of bizarre. There are certain things that that happen. But um, as I kind of studied it this week, I feel like it was actually kind of a cool exercise for me just to have some time with this passage and to, to learn some things about it that, that kind of contextualize what's happening um, in this passage. So as we open the word this morning, um, I hope that we can see um, this scene that's built in tension and irony as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, is praised by the people, he's questioned by the Pharisees on why people are praising him, and then he weeps over Jerusalem And we know the rest of the story that's to come. He will be accused, condemned, rejected, betrayed, beaten, and ultimately crucified all within the span of a couple days. So as we read, I'm going to ask you to stand, as is our custom here, in honor of God's word this morning. We're going to be in Luke 19, uh, verses 28 through 44. If you want to follow along, Luke 19, 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as they had told him. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. <clears throat> they will dash you to the ground and your, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word for us today, for this account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the meaning that it has for us today. And I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to all of it. I pray that you would move beyond just in being an interesting story this morning, that it would have a deeper meaning for us because it is the words of life. I pray that we would learn from you and your word this morning and our lives would reflect your goodness and your kingdom that you came to establish here. Would you speak to us today and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In your name, amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. So this morning I want to take a look at this passage from a few different angles and um, I think we can understand a little bit more about who Jesus is and how he has called us to live um, through some, some of the insight and kind of the symbolism that's happening in this, in this text today. Um, John Piper describes this passage and the idea behind Palm Sunday itself is, is uh, uh, in this way. He says, it's an event of great insight and great misunderstanding. The great insight is that Jesus really is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He was the Messiah, the son of David, the long-awaited ruler of Israel, the fulfillment of all God's promises. But the great misunderstanding and what the Pharisees wanted was that he would enter Jerusalem and by his mighty political power take his throne and make Israel free from Rome. So this morning I want to look at this passage through kind of three different lenses. The first being Jesus' sovereignty that calls us to worship. And the second, Jesus the King who shows us his kingdom. And Jesus, uh, third, in Jesus' mercy that calls us to be merciful. So looking at uh, Jesus' sovereignty um, that calls us to worship him. This passage, I found this passage just filled with like tons of layers of meaning and symbolism that we can often kind of just overlook, but I think it's helpful in understanding more of who Jesus is and what, what is going on in this passage and seeing God's sovereign hand at work here. First, we need to realize what is happening in this passage and in all of Holy Week has been anticipated by Jesus. Earlier in the book of Luke, um, in Luke 18, 31 through 33, I'll just read this. He says, Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles, 
and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So everything that is happening in this passage has been part of Jesus' sovereign plan. There's nothing uh, that, that happened by chance or surprise. He's chosen specific things for, for reasons. He knew they had to be a certain way. In particular, words that were spoken in places and locations. We see Jesus direct his disciples to a particular donkey and travel down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. As I was thinking about this, I was like, I've been to the Mount of Olives. I studied, uh, studied abroad in college um, for a semester, and I was in Jerusalem almost the whole time. And we went to the Mount of Olives, and I remember the tour guide saying, I mean, right now, if you can see, I think I have a picture of it. Is there a picture in there? Yes. I didn't take this picture, but that is the Mount of Olives looking toward the, the Temple Mount, where the temple is. So Jesus would have gone in some way down this, down this hill. And today, it's just filled with Jewish graves, like all over the place. It's just a graveyard. And I remember the tour guide saying, that the, the Jewish kind of tradition and the Jewish belief, which I think is actually founded upon some Old Testament uh, prophecies about the Messiah, would be that the, the, the Messiah would come down and enter in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem uh, through the Mount of Olives. So the Jews have set up their graveyards there because they believe that when the Messiah comes, he will resurrect the dead first as he comes in. So they want to be first in line to <laughs> be resurrected, which it's... Crazy, because that's the way Jesus came. Um, it's an exact kind of fulfillment of that prophecy. Um, Jesus had a foreknowledge of all that was about to happen. Right from the start, we see Jesus sending out his disciples ahead of him, predicting the future actions and the questions that the disciples will encounter in finding the cult for his procession. Jesus tells his disciples some amazing facts about what they will find in the village. He tells them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt that is tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So they go, and they do as Jesus said, and they find things exactly as Jesus predicted. Even down to being questioned about why they're doing it, and they give the answer, and it's sufficient. They go on their way. I think we can, we can kind of easily glance over that, but it's actually kind of an amazing miracle. Uh, and it's easy, easy also to skip over the fact that what it says about this donkey is that no one has ever ridden this donkey. And I talked to Serena, my wife is kind of like a horse. She's a horse person, and she knows horses. And uh, it's a big deal to have an animal that you've never ridden. You've never even put a saddle on this horse or this donkey and then you just get up on the back. It's not a good thing to do. It's like a recipe for disaster. And uh, Jesus, Jesus has this animal that has never been ridden, and he's, he rides it. Um, it's amazing. And kind of a, a intention here is to show his authority and his power over all creation, even this baby donkey. Another area that we see Jesus' sovereign authority is that the crowd shouts praises and Jesus knows that it's necessary for them to do so, even if they don't fully understand the meaning of what they're doing. They may not have known what kind of king that he is and what kind of kingdom he represented. 
And when the Pharisees question him and tell him to silence his disciples, it's like he knows that their praise is part of all creation, anticipating what is coming through the cross and the resurrection. There's no holding them back. If they don't praise, the rocks will cry out, he says. We also catch a glimpse of Jesus' sovereign sovereignty in his prophetic tone near the end of this passage. Um, he he describes the, the future destruction of Jerusalem and how soon the city will be encircled and destroyed. Many will die and not one stone will be left on another. And that sounds pretty harsh, but ultimately that's exactly what happened. Only 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, Jerusalem was surrounded and the temple was destroyed by the Roman emperor Titus in 70 AD. Jesus is celebrated in this passage by the disciples and the crowds, and he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem. But he knows that this is just a fleeting moment. In only a few days, he would be betrayed, accused, and beaten. And in the span of a few years, the whole temple would be destroyed. So all of this is helpful, but how does it help us worship God for his sovereignty? How does this draw us into worship more and more? I think it's the realization that God is in control of literally everything that is happening in our world. God has a sovereign hand and a providence in our world. Um, all the events in this passage were known to him beforehand. And applying this to our world today with constant change and constant unknowns in our world, we can rest upon the, the knowledge that God, it's not a surprise to God. I love this, uh, this quote from Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor. It says, God knows, what he, God knows what he is doing and does exactly what he means to do. God knows what he is doing and does exactly what he means to do. In the midst of so much confusion in our world, there is no confusion with God. There's nothing that is taking God by surprise. There's no plan B for God. The future is in his hands, and our lives are in his hands. Psalm 139. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore, we can trust him with our lives, with every aspect of it, our future and everything that we encounter. He knew it beforehand, and he knows it currently. And that should cause us to treasure him and to worship him and hope in him. All right, so there's our, our second point this morning, that Jesus is the king who shows us his kingdom. So let's go back to the donkey. I think the donkey, I love the donkey. Um, I think one of the most obvious signs of, you know, a deeper meaning here in this passage is that there's a donkey that Jesus is riding into the, into the city of Jerusalem and what that donkey kind of represents. Jesus is riding on a donkey, and that should have been pretty obvious to everyone there that this is uh, a little bit different than a normal king. Jesus made a very deliberate choice to ride on a donkey and not a war horse like a powerful earthly king, and not riding high and triumphantly like a conquering king, but on a lowly colt of a donkey. Why did he do this? 
Well, Jesus is declaring that he is the humble king, not a king dominating by political power or subjugation, not focused on earthly power and control of winning wars. His kingdom is entirely different, and it has turned the power structures and values of the worldly kingdoms upside down. Jesus says, if you want to be powerful, you should be the servant of all. If you want to be first, be the last. If you want to be a leader, then wash other people's feet. Jesus points us to deeper heart matters. He calls us to, uh, to search ourselves and our hearts for deeper, um, deeper desires, to bring true and everlasting freedom and not just temporary earthly freedom. And Jesus riding on a donkey is a direct fulfillment of what is spoken of in Zechariah 9. Hear this um, prophecy here and how Jesus fulfills it. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. At the time of, the, uh, of, of Jesus, the nation of Israel was occupied um, by the Romans. There were great tensions between Jews and Romans at this time and a longing for Israel to break free, from the, um, break free and conquer the Romans. It was probably part of their real motivation in exclaiming, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There's no doubt a longing for Jesus to take power and to liberate the captive nation of Israel is part of their motivation. And if we remember, this whole scene is taking place just as we're entering into the Passover celebration. People come to Jerusalem during this time to offer sacrifices to, to remember how God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. No doubt they're probably expecting and hoping and dreaming for that one day to happen again with the Romans. But the freedom and the redemption that Jesus is bringing is different and is deeper than what people are expecting. And the way he was doing it was completely beyond their comprehension. But nonetheless, Jesus receives this praise and worship from the people. He knows the true meaning of their praise. And a sign, and, and a sign of that is the fact that he's riding on this donkey. He's a king of a very different looking kingdom. And I think the second reason that, that Jesus rides on this donkey is because he's not actually the first king to ever enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. It kind of harkens back to another story that we find in 1 Kings. So this is, this is uh, the King David. Um, at the end of his rule, at the end of his life, he's frail, he's, he's dying, basically. And um, he's been told earlier in his life that, that his son, Solomon, will be the next king of Israel. But another one of his sons, Adonijah, um, secures support from a few others in power, and he secretly holds a ceremony within the walls of Jerusalem and declares himself the new king. So others hear about this. They tell David what's happening, and David summons Nathan and Benaiah, who are prophets, and the priest, uh, Zadok, to appoint Solomon in a public 
um, declaration that he is the true king. So they, they anoint Solomon, um, and in, uh, David gives Solomon his royal mule to enter the city of Jerusalem. And they, they shout and they praise literally the same path into Jerusalem that Jesus is riding. And we read this in 1 Kings 1.40. It says, then they, shouted, then they sounded the trumpet, and the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly. So the ground sh- shook with the sound. The praise and the cheers of the people are so loud that the secret party of Adonijah is broken up, and everyone leaves. Solomon is declared the real king because he is the king of God's choosing. What does this tell us about Jesus arriving into Jerusalem on a donkey? Well, he is also the true king that God has appointed. And he has not taken power by a show of force or in a secret, in a secret meeting, but instead humbly riding on a donkey, but with the power and the glory of the living God leading him. Thankfully, Jesus' uh, kingdom rule looks a lot different than Solomon's. It didn't go well for Solomon. Um, he turned away from God, and he trusted in idols. Jesus faced death on a cross and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Solomon rebuilt the temple, but then led the people to worship foreign gods. But Jesus established a new temple in the church, and he leads his people into life through himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also shows that the kingdom of God is bigger in scope than what people are expecting. At the end of our text, in verses 41 through 44, Jesus weeps over the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And this seems to underscore the fact that he must be a king of a different kingdom. You wouldn't become king and declare, yeah, in 40 years this place is going to is going to be overrun. The kingdom that Jesus is representing here goes beyond the city of Jerusalem and the liberation of the Jews from Roman rule. It goes beyond the nation of Israel. His kingdom includes the Gentiles. It's a kingdom for all nations and without end. We read earlier from the the prophecy in Zechariah, which in this passage, Jesus fulfills every part, and it tells us about this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. It says in verse 10, Zechariah 9, verse 10, He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river and from the river to the ends of the earth. And the prophet Isaiah also speaks of the scope of what God is doing through Jesus to establish this kingdom. Isaiah 49, 6 It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So I pose to you a couple questions this morning. If we are followers of Jesus and Jesus has established the kingdom, what does it look like for us to live here in San Diego, as citizens of this kingdom? How do we live our lives in obedience and allegiance to this kingdom in every aspect of our life, in our friends, friend groups, every relationship, our places of work or school? We need to be wrapped up in the mission of the kingdom of God.
we talked about this a little little bit last week about how do we live missional in this place in in our lives. So there's there's a lot to unpack there, but um, let's keep moving. Um, Jesus's mercy calls us to be merciful. Our last point says that he comes to Jerusalem. Um, he's brought to tears. At the end of our passage, Jesus weeps. And earlier in Luke, um, he shows us his compassion for the city. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus mourns for the hard-heartedness of the city. Mourning because he cares and he loves his people, the Jews, and they have turned away from God's plan. It shows us that Jesus is more emotionally complex than we often think. He feels the full weight of sorrow of this situation. No doubt he has a deep peace about God's plan and purposes and all that will happen, but it doesn't mean he doesn't cry. He's also moved in mercy because he knows the need for the world and for us to be redeemed. We have no other way for us to be saved. And he knows he will give himself to suffer and die in just a few days from this. And he does all this because of his great mercy. Jesus goes toward the pain and the suffering in the short term because he is moved by our great need in the long term. And I think that makes us admire and worship Jesus uh, because he's both infinite in his power and infinite in his mercy, together in perfect harmony. John Piper explains this. He says, We admire power when it is merciful power, and we admire mercy more when it is mighty mercy. And my prayer is that you will see that as you see his mercy and admire his, mer uh, admire his mercy, you will become like him in his mercy, that we would become merciful people just like Christ. What is tenderly moving you these days? Is there a movement in your life toward pain and suffering or misery or loss or sadness in this world? and denying yourself in the short run in order to multiply your joy in the long run. What help are you giving to those in need? To directly imitate Christ in this passage, when was the last time we wept over the, the injustice and the pain in San Diego, Pacific Beach? We talked last week about being a missional people, and how we are, as followers of Jesus, compelled to be a light in this city and throughout the world. So my question to you um, is, how are you caring for your neighbors and loving those around you? As followers of Jesus and a church here in Pacific Beach, what are we known for in this city? What is King's Cross Church known for? May it be that we are merciful and gracious like Jesus. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he communicated several things. It had been a long road to get to this point, but it was a road that he had known. It did not take him by surprise. He was well aware of every detail of the path that would lead to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
The timing was ordained by God, and he was sovereign over everything. And by doing this, Jesus was showing us the nature of the kingdom of God, that it was a humble kingdom like the young donkey, and it calls for our allegiance, not only in outward expressions, but also with the values and affections of our heart. Just one chapter after this, Jesus would go into Jerusalem later in the story, and he would say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God, what is God's. And may we give God what he is due, our whole hearts and our whole lives. Jesus shows us what it means to be merciful, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross, to weep for the injustice and the pain around us, and to live out our lives in a self-sacrificing mercy. As Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, preceding his death on the cross, we know the promise that he will come again, riding on a white horse in power and authority. In Revelation 19, I want to close with this. It's an amazing picture of the second coming of our, our king. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. This is our King, Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this picture of the kingdom, for calling us to follow Jesus in this way. And God, we want to be a people that worship you for your sovereignty over all things, for your providence in all things, and to live as citizens of your humble king, kingdom, not as followers of earthly power, and earthly kingdoms, and to live lives that are seasoned by mercy, that we are compelled by injustice to love and serve others around us. Lord, would you have your way in us, and would you do what you want to do in our lives and in our church? Would we glorify you and lift up your name? Amen.